It's all about the turning. The turning marks the change. The turning marks the course. The turning sets the plan in motion. It's all about the turning. You turn the page to read what happens next. You turn your back to indicate betrayal. The leaves turn, the seasons change. It's all about the turning. A time to plant, a time to sow, a time to laugh, a time to mourn. A time to build up, a time to tear down, a time to cast away stones, a time to gather stones together, a time for peace. Turn, turn, turn. It's all about the turning. To turn a corner means to continue your movement toward a destination. It's just another part of the journey. But we also say we've turned a corner when we come out of a rough patch onto smoother road, like a reprieve after an extended illness. To turn around is not merely to face the other way. It implies an intention to then walk in that other way. To turn back implies the same thing. It means not just turning back and standing still, frozen in place like Lot's wife. It means, or at least implies, a new heading, a new path, whether a return to something more true and right or a repudiation of the old way and a movement onto a new way. It's all about the turning. We likely all remember hearing somewhere along the way about repentance, meaning to turn around and walk the other way, to turn away from sin, to turn toward Christ. Again, not just a single movement of turning, but a second movement then of starting to follow to walk the other way. We turn our face toward the light and feel its warmth drawing us away from shadow. It's all about the turning. Our reading from Deuteronomy, and you may turn there if you wish, catches Moses near the end of his farewell to the people he has led, or at least tried to lead, all the way from Egypt to within shouting distance of the land promised to them by God. Moses offers his last best effort to call the people, that stiff-necked, wandering people of God, back to their right minds. Moses calls them to turn away from all that tempts them, to turn back toward God, to turn away from the path that leads to judgment and death. And Moses calls the people to turn back toward the way that leads to life. In the previous chapter, Moses did some preemptive work and spoke to those who were maybe already thinking about just a little bit of idolatry, folks who maybe still had a little piece of the golden calf in their suitcases. He reminds them of God's wrath against other faithless nations, other faithless cities and communities and peoples. That wrath was unremitting and ended in absolute destruction. And so, just in case you may be toying with the idea that once good old Moses is dead and gone, it'll be anything goes, well, you better think again just in case you think it's Moses who is the taskmaster. Remember who it is that judges and destroys. Now, according to good management practice, one should never talk this way to the entire company. If one or two of your company are stealing from the snack room kitty or spending too much time doing personal email on company time, you confront them personally. You don't send a memo to the whole company warning against such behaviors. That is, we would say, inappropriate. Well, it seems Moses did not have the advantage of any of those weekend seminars on management um, because he lays the whole message on the whole body, which is instructive, I think, because it makes something very clear right from the get-go. 
not only to those weary Israelites listening to Moses' sermon, but to all of us future generations of people seeking to be faithful to the God who calls us. And that message is this. We are all of us, every last one of us, no exceptions. We are all of us and each of us prone to wandering. You may have been standing there under the desert sun listening to Moses go on and on, heart full of the glory of it all, entirely and hopelessly smitten by God and enraptured by the idea that you'd been chosen to be part of God's saving purposes in the world with every last bit of your being desiring only to be faithful, only to be faithful, without the slightest intention to turn away, and still you, yes, you, will one day find yourself wandering off, turning away, tempted by some bit of grass that looks a little bit greener on some other path, just to the side of the road. And this is not cynicism, sisters and brothers. It's just the way things are, where all of us, prone to wander. And so Moses is not engaging in some misbegotten form of leadership. He's just telling the truth. All of us are capable of giving in to temptation and so putting ourselves on the wrong side of history. And we ought to be aware of that tendency and admit it now and remember this warning when we find ourselves being lured away by some false god or our own foolishness and greed. In our text for today, Moses continues to warn the people of what is at stake because the choice is clear. God set before the people two ways of being, two orientations, two paths, and they could not be further apart. The one orientation, the one path, leads away from God and God's purposes and leads toward death. The other orientation, the other way, leads toward God and is aligned with God's purposes and so leads toward life. And Moses calls the people to choose wisely, to choose rightly, to choose life. But if you've turned away, or are tempted to turn away, or will someday turn away, know this. If you turn back to the Lord your God, if you reorient yourselves toward God, if you realign yourselves so that you're once again walking in the paths of righteousness, God will restore you. God will have compassion on you. God will gather you back into the fold no matter how far off you've wandered. Even if you are exiled to the ends of the world from there, the Lord your God will bring you back. And God will give you a land of your own. And God will make you prosper. And God will make you grow. And that's just the beginning. Because if you turn back, God will write on your very hearts the truth of God's way. And God will do the same thing for your children and their children. And God will wipe out your enemies. And everything about you will be fruitful. Your bodies, your animals, your land. And God will do this. God will do this for the sheer joy of blessing you. All of you. Just like God enjoyed blessing your ancestors. Well then, Moses' language takes flight. And he speaks in a kind of poetic prophecy or prophetic poetry. The language of the angels. Surely this commandment that I am commanding you today is not too hard for you, nor is it too far away. It's not in heaven that you should say, who will go up to heaven for us and get it for us so that we may hear it and observe it? Neither is it beyond the sea that you should say, who will cross to the other side of the sea for us and get it for us so that we may hear it and observe it? No, the word is very near to you. It's in your mouth 
and in your heart for you to observe. Do you see what is right before your eyes? Two ways, one leading to death, the other to life, one leading to judgment and wrath, the other to salvation. And both are very real, by the way. This judgment and wrath and death, they're not scare tactics. They're not the empty threats of a parent trying to frighten us into behaving. Death really does reside at the end of the path that takes us away from God. Because without God, there's no life. Just an empty desert. A wilderness without end. A dry and weary land where there's no water, no food, no shelter. No place to lay your head. A way that ends in death. But if you obey God's commandments, if you love the Lord your God and walk in God's ways and observe God's commandments, then you will be on the path which leads to life. And one more time, Moses presents the choice that is before them. If you turn away, if you do not hear this invitation, if you do not heed this warning, you will die. You will not enter the promised land. You will perish. That path, the path you take when you turn away from God, ends only and always in death. And the whole universe is witness to the choice being set before you this day. The universe holds its breath in anticipation of your decision. So choose life. Choose life for the sake of your descendants. Love God. Obey God. Hold fast to God. Choose life. And so inherit the promise. So you see, it really is all in the turning. It's, it's all a matter of proper orientation, of facing the right direction, of moving along the right path. Only one path leads to life. Every other path, no matter how attractive or level or easy or sweet or open or enticing or alluring or rich or welcoming, every other path leads to death. Only the path that's oriented toward God leads to life. And so we're called to orient ourselves properly. And when we turn away, and we will turn away, if not by a lot, then by a little, we will turn away. And when we do, we're called to turn back, to turn back and so be welcomed into the fold, gathered back into the fold, drawn back onto the path that ends in life. It's all about the turning. Now, this may sound harsh to our contemporary ears. Uh, it does to mine. I'd prefer a few more options on the table, frankly. I'd like the path to be a bit broader, more room to maneuver, more margin for error, more give at the shoulders and waist. I'd like levels of difficulty in this video game called life so I can work my way up to expert before I have to face the final boss. I prefer several paths that, that all lead more or less in the right direction. Or maybe some spiritual detours, if you will, um, that take us along those bright city streets and the jazzier parts of town, but ultimately take us back toward our proper destination. Something less Old Testament, uh, to be honest. More 21st century. Less black and white, more pastel, less realistic, more impressionistic. The glass darkly, as opposed to the clarity of face to face. Now, I'm on board with this choosing life business. I mean, who in their right mind wouldn't be? It's the death thing that bothers me. Actually, as Woody Allen once said, it's not death that bothers me, it's the hours. Anyhow, it, it sorry, it's the death thing that bothers me. It, it seems so final, death does, so hard, so judgmental, not at all therapeutic. All other ways lead to death, 
perish the thought. It's hard for us 21st century folks to hear such a stark choice. Two paths. One leads to death. One to life. Choose life. I mean, that's not how we operate. We want some wiggle room, some nuance, some opportunity for dialogue. But what Moses gives us is this. Two paths. One leads to death. One leads to life. Choose life. So I, for one, am very relieved that Jesus came along to give us permission to color outside the lines. I mean, if Moses is the bad cop, then surely Jesus is going to be the good cop, which is a relief. And so we turn our ears with gratitude to hear what he has to say about this turning business. Whoever comes to me and does not hate father and mother, wife and children, brothers and sisters, and yes, okay. Um, whoever does not follow the, carry the cross and Okay. Um, none of you can be my disciple if you do not give up all your... Okay, well, um, anyways. It's interesting to note that where Moses made it a point to tell the people that the decision was not out of their reach, that it was difficult but was available to them, that they didn't have to go to heaven or cross some righteousness sea to make the choice, Jesus goes out of his way to do the opposite. You think it's easy choosing life? You think it's easy being my disciple? I think it's all going to be milk and honey and lilting harps and soothing pianos, soft uh, lighting, comfortable pillows, easy yokes, smooth paths. Think again. Hate your mother. Hate your father. While you're at it, hate your spouse and your children. And for good measure, hate your sisters and brothers and your little dog, too. (laughs) Then give away all of your stuff. Pick up the cross. And follow me. Choosing life for Jesus is choosing to turn away from everything else, from every human relationship, every human want. It means turning toward a life of suffering and sorrow and even, and here's the punchline, turning onto the path that leads to death. We're clearly going to have to look someplace else for the good cop. Now, of course, Jesus does not really mean We should hate our families, not in the way that we mean hate anyways, Uh, like wishing them ill or causing them harm or in some other way mistreating them. That's not what Jesus means here by hate. He means we must turn away from our father, turn away from our mother, turn away from our spouses and children and siblings. What Jesus means is that if we're to follow him into the kingdom of God, we have to turn away from everyone and everything else. We have to turn away from every other love for the sake of our love for Jesus. We must turn away from every love of possessions, every need for things, whether that need is real or fabricated, for the sake of being possessed by Jesus. We must willingly pick up the cross of Christ for the sake of being a disciple. Jesus is not contradicting the commandment to love our neighbors as ourselves. He's calling us to something much more difficult, To understand that that love for family and friend and neighbor, no matter how pure and good and right, is but a shadow of the love we find in Christ. That our lives outside of Christ, no matter how good and right and pure, are mere shadows of the life we have in Christ. And more than that, even harder to comprehend, our loves and our lives, no matter how good and how pure and how right they may be, will in the end lead us to death. 
Those loves, no matter how pure and good and right, those loves cannot save us. Only our love for Jesus, only ourselves given over to Jesus, only the hard way of Jesus will lead us to life. So choose life. Again, it's all about the turning. Moses calls the people to turn away from temptation, from false gods, from sin, and to turn toward God and to walk in God's way. But Jesus takes us to another place altogether because it's not just sin that we need to turn away from. It's not just temptation we must turn away from. It's everything. Everything. He calls us to turn away from everything, to turn our backs on everything and walk the other way. And lest we feel too unencumbered by this act of renunciation, too free from all earthly cares, Jesus gives us a cross to carry, something heavy to bear, a gift that symbolizes all that's wrong with the world and yet also speaks of just how much God loves us. Jesus calls us to come and die so that we may live, to turn away from life as we know it, and instead turn toward the cross and toward death, and so find life, and so have life. Jesus came, we believe, because the prophetic words of Moses proved to be all too true, over and over and over again, just as he predicted that people would turn away, they would wander and go astray and follow all sorts of other paths, And every single one of those paths ended in death, in judgment, in Babylon, in death. And yet, just as Moses prophesied, whenever God's people turned around again and started the long, painful journey back toward God, God welcomed them, God gathered them in and blessed them, and God did this without fail. And still the people continued to wander. So Jesus came. But rather than making things easier, rather than making the way toward life a little bit broader and smoother and easier to follow, Jesus instead revealed something even more stark than what was revealed by Moses. Jesus is not God's way of softening the commands given by Moses. Instead, his coming reveals that the cost of our salvation is high, that the way of salvation is hard that the path to the promised land goes through the cross, that the way that ends in life begins in death, a death to everyone and everything that would distract us or tempt us or fool us into thinking that we're all just fine and everything is going to be just fine and we don't need to worry about things like right paths and wrong paths, about orientation and disorientation, but, well, we can simply think good thoughts and hope for the best. No. Jesus calls us to turn away from everything for the sake of following him. It really is all about the turning. And so here we are, faced with a decision, a choice. Two paths stand before us. One leads to death. The other leads to life. Now, each of us faces this choice individually. And only you and the Holy Spirit know how these words sound to you, how this choice seems to you, what you bring with you to the moment of choosing. Perhaps you carry a little bit of that golden calf with you 
tucked away where no one else can see it, that temptation to hedge your bets or, or to play the field or in some other way turn away when the time seems advantageous. Or maybe you've already wandered away. Maybe you've already turned your back and are walking on the path that leads to death. Maybe you've long since given up any hope at all of ever seeing the promised land. Well, if this sounds at all like you, I invite you to remember the words of Moses, to remember the warning, the path away from God always ends in death, for without God there is no life, just a never-ending wilderness, a forever desert. But I also invite you to remember that lovely, lovely promise that if we turn back toward God, if you reorient yourself or allow the Spirit to turn you around, God will come find you no matter how far you strayed. And God will welcome you back, and God will gather you in, and God will bless you. Even if you are exiled to the ends of the world, from there the Lord your God will bring you back. Or perhaps you're like those standing in the crowd while Jesus talks about the difficult journey of discipleship, a journey which demands absolute commitment and a turning away from every other love and possession for the sake of taking up the cross and following Jesus. Maybe you've become, well, too familiar with the so-called Christian life, too cozy with your tame version of Jesus, the gentle and meek and mild Jesus who calls us to be nice and to play well with others and maybe once in a while endure a little embarrassment for his sake. Maybe you've come to believe that choosing life is is just a matter of the will, or saying the right thing, or believing the right thing, or praying the right prayer, or being in the right congregation, or social set, or income bracket, or being a member of the right political party, or taking the right positions on the issues of the day. If this sounds at all like you, I invite you to hear the hard words of the one we call Lord. Turn away from everyone and everything. Give up all you have. Pick up that heavy and awkward and painful cross and follow me. Die to everything so that you'll live. Turn toward the divinely foolish paradox of Golgotha. Turn toward the tomb, toward death, and so walk the path that ends in resurrection. It's all about the turning. Unless we despair at the hard choice before us, lest we hide our faces from the bright and burning words of the prophets, lest we turn away and give it all up as hopeless, let's remember again those lovely words of our ancestor Moses, words that are not made any less true by the stern call of Jesus, words that are instead made to shine even more brightly when we see in Christ the cost of our salvation. Even if you are exiled to the ends of the world, from there the Lord your God will bring you back. God has gone and will go to any lengths to help us make the right choice. God has gone and will go to any lengths to help us turn toward life, to reorient us, to call us back over and over and over again until we come round right. For God so loved the world that God gave the only Son so that whoever believes in Christ, whoever turns toward Christ, will not perish, but will have eternal life. God did not send Jesus into the world to condemn us or to leave us in our fallen state, but to let us suffer the consequences of our own faithlessness 
or to stand by and watch us wander off onto the path that leads to death. No. No, God became flesh in order to save us so that the whole world would be saved. And so we turn toward life. We turn toward God. We turn toward Jesus. One by one, we turn toward Jesus. And as a company of saints, we turn toward Jesus. We turn toward life because in that company, we find it just a bit more easy to face the right direction. In that company, we may count on sisters and brothers to help us find a way. Sisters and brothers who will help us to turn and turn and turn again. Always seeking that proper alignment, that right orientation, that path which leads only and always toward life. And as members of that company, we do the same thing for our sisters and brothers. Sometimes we limp along. Sometimes we weave off course. But always seeking to stay true. Our compass is pointing us toward Jesus. And through him, through Christ, toward the promised land. Turning away from the path which leads to death. Turning toward the path which leads to life. Because in the end, it is all about the turning. Let's pray together. Sisters and brothers, I don't know how you hear this. I don't know how you hear these words from Deuteronomy and from Luke, from Moses and from Jesus. I don't know if they rub you the wrong way or they sink in. I don't know how you hear these words. But I invite you at this time to sit with them for a bit and listen within them, or through them, for the voice of God. Loving God, you do not leave us without hope. Though the choice facing us is stark and permits no hedging, no compromise, we also hear your promise to come and find us wherever we wander, to gather us in the moment we turn toward you. Though the call of Christ is hard and carries with it a cost we despair of paying, we also hear the promise of Christ that in that moment when we turn, he will welcome us and gather us under his wings. Each one of us faces the choice proclaimed by Moses, and not just today, but every day. Help us to turn toward you, to turn onto the path that leads to life. Each of us longs to follow Jesus. Help us to learn what it means to turn away from every other way 
that prevents us from following. Help us as individuals and as a community of faith to pick up the cross and follow. And help us to trust that on the other side of the cross, there is resurrection. Lord, hear our prayer. Amen.